Hello, everyone. Happy to have you all here. Uh, I'm Bob Warham. I'm a partner at CINT. I have the mission just to tell you in a few seconds what CINT is and what we are here for. Before I go there, just want to know if you're feeling good this morning. All good? You know, excited? No? All right. Overwhelmed a little bit, maybe? We are all right a little bit overwhelmed so we're here for the impact tomorrow digitally efficient future and uh, I have a phrase that I'm reading here what CINT does we build digital solutions that transform businesses hmm but what we really do we are a group of damn good people that love complex problems and love people so if you have complex problems, talk to us. We will have fun helping you solve complex problems because we just love it. And we're good people. We do the build digital solutions that transform businesses. But at the end of the day, that's not what matters. What matters is that we have fun and we're enjoying solving complex problems with people. We have a tagline that says, make that tomorrow. That, you know, explains that a little bit. But uh, before I introduce uh, Mike that will handle the panel today, that's what really matters, is that I would just want to finish this little intro saying, we exist to make your tomorrow from a technical and business perspective. So with that, I want to invite Mike Essel. He's an automotive expert, a lover of electronic vehicles, just got a new one, and a CDO at CINT. Mike, with hey, you. Thank you. Enjoy the panel. Ready to go? Ready to go. Welcome, everybody. Hello, everyone out there. Thanks for coming. I'm very excited to be on stage with these folks, and uh, I hope you are too. And if you aren't, I'm sure as soon as they introduce themselves, you will be, um, <laughs> because their knowledge, experience, enthusiasm, perspective, I mean, it, uh, it's going to come right out. So Amanda, why don't you get started? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Amanda Scora. I am from Audi of America. I work in the digital technology space, and we have responsibility over more of the back-end technology and some of the integrations across e-commerce, Salesforce, identity management, and also integrations with some of the EV partners. I'm it. Hi, everybody. Uh, Amit Bhosle. I lead the product team for Hubject in North America. Uh, while GM and Audi don't need any introduction, uh, Hubject is uh, virtually an unknown, other than to industry players, so maybe a quick intro to the company is in order. Uh, Object uh, has been around for 11 years in the e-mobility space, which may not seem like much, but uh, that is essentially as long as the e-mobility space has been around. So we've been around for a while. We are headquartered in Berlin, and we have been operating in North America for just over five years now. Uh, at Hubject, I am responsible for our two products, uh, essentially both B2B solutions that make the charging experience uh, easier for the driver, 
And prior to Hubject, I worked for four years at Audi, where I was responsible for building the charging solution for the e-tron. Is this my first time at South by Southwest? Uh, thrilled to be here and part of the discussion. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, I know Hubject well, and I love Hubject. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm being honest, I love you too. <laughs> Uh, anyways, I'm Haas. I'm with General Motors. I lead our, uh, what we call our EV ecosystem, which is uh, our charging and energy uh, space. So uh, all of our public charging infrastructure, private charging solutions for customers, residential charging solutions, and so forth. Charging products and services related to that, so hardware, installation. Uh, we just announced GM Energy as a new line of business last year, so I'm responsible for what we call Altium Home, which is a division within GM Energy, which is all of our vehicle-to-grid, vehicle-to-home uh, solutions, backup power, grid resiliency, and so forth. And then we uh, also cover off EV education, which is certainly germane to uh, today's discussion. I'm also feeling a lot of love on this stage. Great. So, I think you guys see why I'm so excited to be here now. You know? All right, let's get this conversation going. So the, following off to the point about education, right? Like the general demystification of EVs is definitely an ongoing process. It's something that's a remaining barrier to increasingly widespread adoption. Just to get the conversation going, I was just, Amanda, just gonna throw this your way. What, what are successful brands doing? What's coming? What needs to change? How is this education process gonna work? Sure, so at Audi, we're kind of looking at 2023 is a year of best, last, first. And you know those audiences and the education around it is there are many people who are going to be buying their last Audi. It's hopefully their best Audi, but you also are going to have a number of people buying their first EV. Right? So daily, right? most of the time, you think, what's the ideal customer experience? Like, How do I help these customers? Well, you actually have to kind of fork that and have multiple. And so, you know, really building out the education, you know, we are tasked with mm, a lot more in the customer experience space, I think, than we previously were. You sell an ICE, you sell an EV. But now we're kind of in this space where it's both. And I think we really wanted to start with our dealers and our internal kind of employees on the education space because at a corporate and OEM level, like, they're our spokespeople, right? They're the ones that are kind of working towards the, you know, explaining and talking through the, the experience with the customers, and they're kind of the first touch point, whether it's a phone call or show up at the dealership. And I think by starting there, right, we really put the power in their hands to be able to educate the masses for us, right? On the flip side, for customers, I have a little bit of a story, but we have a nine-year-old, our little one, and last summer we went to the beach. And for those of you who are parents, you know packing things for the drive down is just as important as what you pack, right? Because that seven hours in the car tends to be <laughs> a little bit long. But one of the things we got her was a Lego Friends electric vehicle. And so she's in the back seat putting this electric vehicle. What's the range on that? Right? <laughs> The highest in market. Right? <laughs> but so she's putting this together, and you can kind of hear her mind work. And she has the instructions, and she's like, "What? Like, what's this?" And there's a charging station that comes with it. I was like, what mm -hmm. is this? Like, what am I? What is this? I was like, "Will you plug I'm it a, in?" Did you do a deal with Lego? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "You plug it in." And she's like, "But where do you plug it in?" You're like, to the charging station. Where are the charging stations? At gas stations? Like, I go to a gas station, I plug it in. So I plug it in at home. And long story short, but. I think what it tells me is that's where you start again. So there's been all this education in space, all this movement in EVs, but the majority, right, those 42%-ish, almost 50, 
that aren't ready to purchase an EV vehicle now have very little knowledge or understanding about it. And you almost have to go back and oversimplify the message to start to build the narrative again, right? We should make no assumptions that people come into this space understanding EVs, understanding charging, knowing where the charging network, and as much as we wanna do something big and flashy, like that's kind of the sweet spot for us, right? Like that speaking to a nine-year-old and trying to explain how do you charge that car, that's probably the education level that most people need to kind of make that sale. The early adopters are in, but that's the sweet spot, demystifying it for them. I wish I could learn everything from Lego, personally. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, Bahas, do you want to pick up on this, uh, on this discussion a bit? It's so many parts of the ecosystem of touch points with a consumer to, yeah. to kind of dive into. Is there part of yeah, that yeah. that you, you want to expand on a bit? Yeah, I mean, um, as Amanda said, you can't make any assumptions about what people know or don't know when they start asking questions about uh, EVs or even if they dare to ask questions about EVs, right? We, we have some people who are coming in expecting to into our dealerships looking to buy a, you know, an internal combustion vehicle, a nice vehicle, and end up walking out with an EV because of a conversation that they had mm -hmm. uh, with a really strong sales consultant. So we are taking that multi-channel approach. It's important too because we've got different cohorts who are considering EVs from fleet and commercial customers to younger folks who may be a little more you know, uh, uh, tech adept or whatever to older folks who are coming into this and saying, look, there's a cost there's an affordability here that really works for me if I'm on fixed income or whatever the case may be. So people are coming into it through different channels, so we're trying to provide solutions for, through those different channels. We have our owner mobile app, and you think, well, why would you put content on your owner mobile app? Well, most of our owners are driving ICE vehicles, and if we want to seduce them over to the electric vehicle promise, that mm -hmm. app, which is where they're interacting most frequently, is a great place to do it. Uh, obviously, our dealerships, as Amanda said, is a, is a really important point. One thing we did recently, because when you, you know, when you look at what OEMs are putting out, uh, automakers are putting out, a lot of it is, as you would expect, you know, marketing speak and marketing websites that are sort of, you know, putting some really great copy out there that our copywriters are writing, but it, it's, not, it's not really addressing all the issues. So we, we developed this platform, which is uh, called EV Live, that uh, we've had to market for a few months, which is an all-comers platform, right? If you're... Um, if you're Amanda's customers or shoppers, or if you're GM customers or shoppers, uh, if you're an owner, if you're a fleet and commercial customer, if you're a hater, we actually love calls from the haters. They're like, yeah, worse for the environment than our ice vehicles are. Like, um, let's debunk that uh, a little bit. So uh, evlive.gm.com, we launched this platform. It's not a salesy environment. It's a purpose-built studio to get at the misperceptions or misconceptions that a lot of people cite. Mm -hmm. Charging issues, range issues, uh, the battery, of course, battery, sustainability issues, recycling, and so forth. So we created that platform, which is this all-comer platform. It's a one-to-one -one conversation. It's not a canned speech. So if you're coming into this and you just want to know one thing about lithium, talk to us about lithium. If you want to have just a fuller story about it, we'll tell you that story. And, and I think that's what's really important. As, as Amanda said, we can't make assumptions that anybody who's coming in just needs to hear about charging infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They may not care about that right now. They may just be coming in talking about cost of ownership. So that's what we're trying to do with our channels, make multiple channels available to folks and make sure those conversations can really be one-to-one. -one. Is there a consumer-to-consumer -consumer element to that? Consumer element? Yeah, like consumers talking to each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, so one thing that's interesting is the industry hit 6% sales penetration last year, meaning mm -hmm. of all new vehicles sold in the US, 6% were electric vehicles. What we've seen in Europe, in China, is once you hit that 
penetration, mm -hmm. that's where you see this acceleration. Why? Because now more people are seeing another electric vehicle that their coworkers pulling in, or if you're in an apartment, you're seeing an electric vehicle and somebody's figured out how to charge even though they live in an mm -hmm. apartment. So you're starting to see that birds of a feather mentality start to, start to take shape. So there's actually a peer-to-peer -peer phenomenon. For better or worse, Reddit seems to be one of the most popular you know, support and sales and advocacy and counter-programming uh, mm -hmm. uh, platforms. So we're hoping we see a future where we don't need to rely on Reddit as much. No haters on Reddit. No, no. Reddit is a space full of uh, love and joy. Always, 100%. Which is why Emma and I started a thread that you're all welcome, which is we love Hubject. <laughs> there until they love it. are Hubject. And general love is an We are going to be taking questions at 45 minutes, by the way. So like the invitation to converse with haters stands within reason, of course. Yeah. You know. As long as you stay seated and project your hate from where you're seated and don't <laughs> That's fine. That's make it hate. physical. You just type your hate. Let's go. Yeah. Um, any part of that you want to dive into, Amit? I know you care about the charging handoff, I'm sure. Absolutely. At the um, risk of criticizing other panelists. I won't. Okay, uh, good, good. Most of this is about education and driving awareness, and I think OEMs are doing the best they can. Some of them do, do it better than others. Thank you. And I'm sure uh, you know, GM and Audi have have a place for Audi in my heart, so I know they do their best. Uh, but I'm trying to come at it from a different perspective. There are other players in the industry that are important. Charging networks play a huge mm -hmm. part uh, in this space, right. and they can do a lot towards driving education and awareness. Uh, providing information, as much information as possible on the quality of their network, the quality of their chargers that are in the ground, uh, to the drivers is important because consumers need to know that uh, chargers are available when and where they need them. Uh, so charging networks can do a lot in increasing awareness, making sure that information is available, not just on their website, but on their mobile apps, tie into the OEMs to make sure that that information is passed through uh, to, to drive education, all right? That is important. Uh, the other uh, stakeholders uh, that are important are the government agencies, state, uh, uh, local municipalities, and counties, uh, they, and electric utilities. Uh, they are putting to, together programs and incentives uh, that make it easier for consumers to make the switch from ICE to EVs, right? Utilities are providing uh, incentives uh, for charging at home. Um, federal government is putting enormous amount of money in making sure that consumers switch from ICE to EVs. This information is not readily available unless you know where to look. And making sure that it is easily available in all these channels is, is super important and critical. Agreed, agreed. So this easily could be entirely about consumer education in the EV space, right? But let's, like, let's change gear a little bit. Talk about one of the other players in the space, government, right? You touched on this. Uh, conventional wisdom is that subsidy has been a very effective lever in this space, although some would probably argue. The nature of this is changing. We'll probably change like with NEVI and mm -hmm. the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Yep. Amit, do you want to sort of give us your thoughts on that, expand on that a bit, and then everybody can just jump in as we go, yeah? Happy to. Uh, yep. Uh, in the recent uh, four weeks, uh, the, the final NEVI funding uh, uh, rule was published. NEVI is the National uh, EV Infrastructure Act that the federal government and the Department of uh, Energy has uh, uh, pushed. Uh, and that is putting together $5 billion of funding and an additional $2.5 billion of discretionary funding, all for charging infrastructure. 
quite huge. That's an enormous amount of money, uh, and that is only going to make the charging infrastructure and the experience easier for the driver. Uh, as part of that program, uh, there are several requirements uh, that charging networks have to now uh, support, and all of these make charging easier. All right, so I want to quickly go through a few of them, and then I will uh, get Amanda and Hoss uh, in uh, feedback on, on the IRA. Um, so uh, one of the first requirements is the best experience with plug and charge and ISO 15118, right? That is huge. All charging networks are required to support plug and charge with 15118 within one year. Um, almost all the major automotive OEMs have made the leap to support plug and charge, and now the funding rule states that charging networks have to adopt uh, this as well. So again, big push to making charging easier for the driver. Um, one method of authentication to access multiple networks. I, anybody who owns an EV today in the US knows that they have to have multiple mobile apps to charge at multiple networks. Terrible experience. Uh, what the funding uh, rule states is that consumers should be able to access multiple charging networks all through one app. Again, huge improvement in the customer experience. Uh, there are a few solutions out there today. Uh, GN does a great job with the Altium 360 network, but they are not optimal, uh, and this is only going to make it better. Uh, and finally, availability of the network uh, itself. Uh, performance uh, for charging networks has always been an issue. Everybody knows this. It is the worst experience in the world when you go to a location, find two chargers that are occupied and the remaining two that are not working, right? Amazingly frustrating. Uh, mandating 97% uptime uh, and data quality by the charging networks is again going to make sure that charging networks invest in making their networks available, making the experience better. Uh, this has to continue, right? Uh, we are already seeing the effects of the program. Uh, Tesla has started to open up some of their chargers uh, to non-Tesla uh, drivers, which is great. Uh, that's a huge network uh, that is available to Chevy Bolts and uh, uh, Audi e-trons, uh, for example, right? That's, that's great. Uh, we are seeing a lot of interest from networks asking us how to support plug and charge. So, Huge, huge improvement. We are already seeing the impact of this uh, uh, funding program uh, and, and looking forward to making it happen. Uh, but I would like to uh, get, get Haas and Amanda's views on the IRA uh, and the tax credits because that has been a little bit more different uh, yeah. than the NEVI program. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say on NEVI, because you mentioned the Ultium Charge 360 network, I met a couple times. Uh, I mean, we are investing hundreds of million dollars in public charging ourselves uh, through that network and uh, expect to build out a network where people don't have to use anybody that's else's right. uh, right. charging because great for us is when they're charging an Ultium Charge 360 network that is built to optimally around our customers. Uh, of course, our competitors are invited to go there as well. Uh, on the IRA side, so uh, Inflation Reduction Act, I mean, we were, of course, happy to see uh, customer incentives come back into the marketplace and for manufacturers like General Motors who had exhausted under the previous uh, parameters uh, of the previous program, that cap, when we hit that cap along with one of the other major competitors in the space, of course, you know, it's like um, uh, 
Anyways, we're, we're glad that we're now able to, uh, a number of our vehicles, in fact, our, our Bolt and, and Lyric are all eligible for that, and a number of our other vehicles are coming out. It's also important, and as much as incentives uh, are an important part and have been when you look at Europe and have been in China, both on the infrastructure side, where, which China and Europe certainly got ahead of North America on that front, and which is why they have such higher adoption than, than we do in the U.S., although we're mm -hmm. catching up. Um, you know, that incentive infrastructure and all the rest is really important. It's also important as manufacturers that we build a system and, and a supply chain and all the rest that doesn't have us relying on incentives in perpetuity. Uh, you know, General Motors is committed to having a vehicle essentially in every segment where we play. We've got the Equinox uh, coming out, which is really going to be the first accessible, affordable SUV in the most popular segment in North America, which is that compact SUV category at around $30,000. So yeah, we're, we're thrilled that IRA is back. There's always ways to improve legislation like that to make it simpler for the point of sale, to make it simpler for customers to understand to the point that we were saying earlier, we don't wanna add more confusion and more technicalities to this. We're trying to simplify, uh, but nevertheless, we're, we're happy to see programs like IRA and NEBI accelerate uh, EV adoption. And I think as these subsidies and programs kind of come out, we have to stay in front of it of, you know, where in the wayfinding do these make sense? Like, is it a decision maker for the customer? Like, are they using this to say, that's pushing me over the edge, like I'm going to get an EV? Mm -hmm. Or is it yeah. something that's kind of complementing the sales journey, right? And, and mm -hmm. how you fit that into, is it an upfront like educational page? Is it within, I configure my car and here's some of the incentives, right? We're constantly kind of trying to learn and adapt that journey so that they can find that information, right? Convert to a sale, but also yep. know where they can find more information kind of afterwards. How do you start to submit for some of these subsidies yeah. and some of the different pieces, right? So that's kind of where we fit into making sure that you know, the products that we're building from a digital perspective complement what that's coming out. And it's constantly yeah. evolving, right? Yep. And we have to constantly evolve that with them so that customers see that information. It's an interesting point that the complexity of these programs can be almost a disincentive in and of themselves, right? Because they appear right there at the beginning as part of the purchase and finance process. And, and like, no longer can you kind of separate it. Like, oh, here's the link to that government website where yeah. you can find this information, right? You have to have enough and a kind of a understanding of it where customers mm -hmm. are going for information. And when we talked about earlier, like the use case, oversimplifying this information is critical as we kind of go from that six, seven, eight, nine yeah. percent of kind of the total volume of sales. Yeah, reminds me a little bit about uh, the purchase decision of like buying solar panels. There's always a complicated local, federal incentive, everything yeah. it just gets complicated, right? So it's ultimately the subsidy is effective, right? But um, well, what does the future hold? So more but less maybe consumer apparent subsidy? Is that where we're going? It seems like it continues to be a useful tool. Do you expect to see this continue in the future? I mean, clearly it has to fall off at some point, right? Like the, yeah, I mean, I can't speculate about uh, the future of legislation, incentives, and all the rest. We'll make hay with the program mm -hmm. while it's there, but as I said, you know, we're focused on bringing the cost down of manufacturing electric vehicles, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, improving the business case and, and the margins, uh, as, um, as Mary Barr, chair and CEO, recently uh, talked about. Uh, in our investor day. So th that is the focus, right? Uh, automakers can't be building um, uh, their future on right. an expectation that some safety net's going to be there. Well, good to see government having a positive impact, though, so that's fun.
Um, let's turn around and talk about the consumer again a little bit some more. So uh, segmentation of consumers is important in any like consumer-facing product, right? Like different groups and their interests and how to approach them, right? I think we've been through a couple cycles of like EV brand creation and uh, retooling and sales experiences, right? Where some of these uh, segments are becoming more clear or will become clear, right? So I'm interested to talk about how we can address the segments that are appearing, so to speak, as a way of fostering adoption, right? So uh, Amanda, I'll throw that to you, but everybody will just pile in. Well, so I come from kind of hospitality, right? So I look at customer segmentation a little bit on kind of who's kind of buying into the overall experience, right? I want to go stay at the hotel. I want to be in the lobby. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so when I look at EV segmentation, right, there are those early adopters, right? You don't throw them out, but there is a difference in communicating with them versus where we really want to start targeting is more of a younger and diverse audience, right? Because those early adopters, like, they've put up with a lot of the bugs and a lot of the issues in the pieces that we've already talked yeah. about, right? Mm. You know, we don't get away with more, but they kind of are out in front. They want the technology. They're, they're already bought in, right? And so from that flip side, right, we really look at, and I equate them to business travelers coming from like, like they love their points. They're going to keep staying at those hotels because they get their points and then they get free hotel stays, right? right so, right, right. you know, you really kind of, minimally focus on that, but by kind of bringing in that younger and diverse audience, right, you're still there at the forefront, right? So we talked before about, you know, last, best, first, right? Those consumers buying their first car, right, that younger audience, they're smarter than, you know, other groups that we've previously sold to. They want to buy into a lifestyle, right? It's not just this car has this charging range and I can get it in these colors and it's vegan leather seating, right? Mm -hmm. They want to know what you're doing from a sustainability perspective, right? That is now a decision maker in their process. And previously it wasn't, right? You obviously had brand loyalty and you kind of looked at that, but they're making sure that you're also being more sustainable in the space, right? And that you're doing more things around that. So as you start to kind of audience and data mine mm -hmm. around where those people are, right? It's looking at the people who just purchased their last ICE. And it's looking at people who are kind of more in the environmentally conscious space, I'll, I'll call it, right? Mm -hmm. That they are sustainable, but they want a car that kind of fits in with that, that lifestyle, right? So that's kind of what we look to push for you know, that segmentation of the next audience, right? And okay, okay. you know, in a panel, what, a couple days ago, it was actually a comedy panel, but um, they talked a lot about, you know. What is this? Well, it's a comedy <laughs> panel, you're, you're here, right? So they talked about, uh, Sam Jay, for any of you who may have seen her, talked about feeding the mob, but watering the grass. And that concept really resonates here. Like, make sure that the people who are those early adopters have the information that they want. Mm -hmm. But, you know, start planting those seeds and kind of watering that education, all of those different pieces of the experience in, because those are actually going to be like your future customers. And those are going to be kind of the long-standing ones that you're kind of, you know, nurturing now mm -hmm. and finding those segments now and finding those audiences for media, marketing, television, any of the kind of messaging that you're doing becomes really important to kind of build out what this looks like for the future. Right, right. Okay. There's something more basic happening, too, in the industry today versus where EVs have been for the last 10 years. I mean, the last 10 years, you look at most of the EVs sold, they've had very high transaction prices. They've been luxury vehicles. Mm -hmm. And when you think about some of that, you know, criticism and chirping that you hear 
Uh, it's, you know, why are we incentivizing customers who don't need incentives? And why, you know, it doesn't feel like electric vehicles are real to me, right? So now that we're starting to see this real acceleration across the industry, which also means segments, right? The electrification promise is not going to happen and persist on the luxury category alone. And Amanda's parent company and, and certainly General Motors that has stated several times that we want everybody in an EV. Uh, that's why coming out with vehicles in the truck segment and commercial vehicle segment, what's interesting is how quickly commercial customers are adopting electric vehicles. Again, and they're, they're doing it for a number of reasons, because of their you know, ESG and sustainability uh, uh, strategies, but also because of real cost of ownership advantage that they're mm -hmm. saying, and we're seeing success with Bright Drop and, and Silverado as a result of that. So that sort of more foundational promise of bringing EVs to more people by having it in more segments, having them be affordable and approachable and all the rest is, is also what's really creating quite a, quite a transformation in the industry right now. Mm. Maybe less, this consumer segmentation may be less apparent in the charging sector, I'm sure that you feel this sort of vicariously, right? I mean, is there a market for like, you know, the equivalent of vegan leather electrons? When the not quite, but maybe I'll touch on uh, what Amanda mentioned about driving sustainability or the message of yeah. sustainability to, mm -hmm. to these younger uh, Gen Z, Gen Y, whatever uh, is the term nowadays. Uh, I certainly do not qualify. All <laughs> of Mother Gaia's <laughs> children is, yeah. is the appropriate uh, term. But, but what we hear is uh, people who want to charge want to know if the energy that is uh, flowing into their car is from sustainable sources, right? Mm -hmm. So charging networks uh, are, are asking us, can we provide this information to uh, the uh, driver, uh, either through the OEM app or through our system somehow, so that they know when they charge at uh, an Electrify America or an EV Go station or any network that you can think of, the, the energy is coming from sustainable sources. They are starting to make these changes so that that information is going to be available and that information can then be provided to the driver. Again, driving home the point mm -hmm. that, the, that you are living the sustainable lifestyle. Right. So even shop, though it doesn't shop show- Shop local and you're charging. Exactly. Uh, yeah. of, you know, exactly. That's cool. Any other interesting segments emerging, you think? So segments based on age, segments based on lifestyle, segments based on musical preferences. I, Not quite there. I, I think so we're just starting coming. to see a convergence between the segments that comprise the ICE category and, and the EV category and coming mm -hmm. out with you know, vehicles in every segment and category and you know, pickup trucks that can go 400 plus miles, 500 miles, and you know, commercial vehicles and so forth that, that can do last mile and middle mile and so forth. We're, we're just going to continue to see that convergence. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, right, we're focused on two different. So who's driving a B-segment ICE versus who might be buying a B-segment, right? So, right, right. you know, more affordable kind of audience. But eventually, while we're hyper-focused on EV now, ideally we get back to one car buying journey, right? I know that's off, off a ways away, <laughs> right? But because mm. we're so hyper-focused, you know, we're trying to figure out what type of consumer you are and which direction do we kind of point you, right? But eventually we get to a point where we kind of sustain more of a default experience and yeah. layer pieces on top of that because that's where we're going. Like, ideally, we get to 90% yeah. concentration in the EV space, but we're at six. So <laughs> we have a ways to go. But how do you kind of um, target the people that you want now who will mm -hmm. be buying those cars over the next several years um, and open it up to more... 
Right, are we that far off? California's going to hit a target of, what is it, 2030? I mean, GM said we're going all electric on our light duty vehicles by 2035. So, yeah. you know, blink. Keep your eyes closed for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'll be there. <laughs> Have a long blink. Yeah. 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 And, um, man, that's exciting to think, like fully electric cell, only electric cell cycles in seven to 10 years. Yeah. Amazing. That'll simplify a lot of things for us, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, we've got to power all these cars, right? We've got to, like, uh, these electrons got to come from somewhere, be it green source or otherwise. Um, I think it's worth talking about the grid, right? This is maybe something that has particular resonance here in Texas because of the somewhat unusual nature of the Texas power grid, right? Um, I don't know, Hoss, I guess I'd like to direct this at you. Do we have capacity? Like, are there, and then, you know, there's definitely vehicular features like vehicle to grid, for example, which, like, maybe yeah. help EV be part of the solution, right? Is this something that we can leverage in terms of accelerating adoption or smoothing the, the path? Yeah, not, not to give too much of a you know, platform for the, for the critics and so forth, but the common refrain is, uh, and not just you know, among folks who've maybe experienced blackouts, um, but it's very topical. Michigan you know, just had a couple, uh, a couple weeks apart that affected a lot of my colleagues and so forth. So um, you know, the common refrain is, uh, how can the grid support all these electric vehicles, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and we like to turn that question around and say, how can all these electric vehicles support the grid? Fundamentally, in, in, in the US, uh, the issue that we have is not really one of generation of electricity, it's the distribution of the electricity, right? We've got 3,000 utilities across the country, about 300 of them serve 80% you know, of the population, and, and uh, you know, utilities are trying to figure out with this you know, infrastructure that was built uh, in the 50s and ostensibly was supposed to have a 50 year lifespan and so forth, how do we keep up with, with uh, the pace of all the needs, increasing needs for electricity across the economy? There's this misperception that EVs are gonna be like sucking, you know, 20% uh, 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 of, of the grid's uh, supply and so forth, which is, which is not the case. So for us, we launched this division last year called GM Energy, which is a division that was born of this emerging capability of electric vehicles to send energy back, uh, to offer bi-directional charging, meaning not just replenishing the battery, but sending energy back to the home or the facility to just provide backup, uh, backup power uh, as an alternative to a fossil fuel powered generator, uh, but also to aggregate that uh, distributed car park of EVs that are plugged in and provide power back to the grid so that utilities don't have to make, you know, uh, outrageous capital uh, upgrades and investments for the three days, four days, a year that they may need that, you know, surge capacity and so forth. So this is a very compelling business proposition that certainly has economic value, not just for uh, a car maker like General Motors, but for utilities and so forth for the whole of the economy. But it also provides some real customer benefits. Mm -hmm. There are those intangible benefits of not having your ice cream melt uh, in a power outage or not losing productivity in a workplace. Or uh, there are, you know, some real tangible benefits like getting money back, either from an OEM who's, who's got a program in uh, cooperation with a utility company and so forth. All of those things are what General Motors is working on in both a residential use case and uh, a fleet and commercial use case. So it is really important as part of this overall EV adoption story and demystification and all the rest to get at this issue. Not everybody is necessarily gonna to wanna to take advantage of the benefits of bi-directional charging, but at least getting into that so that people don't feel like they're you know, adding to some burden and are going to be, you know, <laughs> have the cardinal letter on their car because you know, we've had power outages and you're showing up in an electric vehicle, it's like, hey dude. 
Um, so no, EVs we see very much as, as a solution and a remedy for challenges facing the grid in the US. Mm. I live in a hurricane zone, Charleston, South Carolina, and the, the possibility of powering a house with a vehicle I think is making a real uh, outreach to a market segment that might have been hard to reach. Yeah. Right? Previously, the sort of pickup truck, gas generator crowd is like, oh, look at the possibilities of this. It's really something. You know? Do you think that, that that dovetails with the the sort of market segments like this, cap like these new capabilities that the uh, EVs provide? It factors into the sort of the lifestyle question. You want me to take that, or if you like, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. I, I think it does uh, actually. I, I'm thrilled that GM is working on V2G. Uh, I think for it to be truly adopted, you mentioned there's 3,000 utilities and and for true adoption, there has to be some standards that have to be in place. And I think yeah. we are just starting that exercise yeah. uh, to put those in place so that all OEMs and all these 3,000 utilities can then play a part. Uh, uh, I think on the, on the flip side, there are certain things that can actually be done today to uh, manage the load on the grid. Uh, right? uh, utilities are providing time of use rates yep. uh, that uh, actually make it very attractive for the EV driver to charge their cars at off-peak hours so that they get significant discounts uh, on their uh, energy rates. Uh, this is very easy to do, right? But it is information that is not easily available from the utility for the, for the consumer. Uh, so making that information easily available and making enrollment in these time-of-use rates easier would certainly do a, a lot to balance the load uh, on the grid. Um, I think the next step would be managed charging, uh, where then uh, you, you would allow the utility to start and stop charging your car, depending on the load on the grid, uh, of course, with the, the owner's consent. Mm -hmm. uh, again, just like B2G, that is going to require standards and development of protocols uh, between the utility and the car, uh, which, of course, means that utilities and auto OEMs have to work very closely together. Yeah. Uh, and um, this would be great, uh, you know, again, to, to make EVs the solution and not necessarily the problem. Right, right. And from Good. a dealer and then a consumer perspective, right, making sure that the vehicle, the, the My Audi app is able to allow you to kind of pause and push your charging start time mm -hmm. into these yeah. timings, right? So that integration between when are those kind of key times where you could charge and get some of those costs down and how do you make sure that the car is plugged in and ready to start charging, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a fact that's been in market for years and years, but most people drive under 50 miles a day, right? Yeah. So this overnight, I park my car at six and I leave at yep. 8.30, right? Your car doesn't, you don't actually need that. Like, you don't need that range right, for right. kind of your day to day. And so making that ease of use before the customer leaves, how do I set these charging preferences, right? how eventually, hopefully, can I pull from my energy company to see when I can charge, right? And that my car is smart enough to be plugged in in my garage, but start when it's taking advantage of some of these, right? Mm -hmm. And I think on the flip side, charging our, like making it easier in Audi on, the, on our side in the vehicle to plug and charge more easily, make sure that you know, customers are able to take advantage of the hours in some cases that are provided, but also in the future, you know, that they're staying within this MyAudi ecosystem and able to purchase those hours 
set their preferences on charging, right? Kind of all in one place in this kind of my Audi marketplace. Mm -hmm. yep. it, that point Amanda made, you know, if it's not commonly known, you know, average uh, commute in the U.S. is 40 to 50 miles. So you think about a vehicle with 400 miles of range, like the Silverado RST. Most people are starting the morning with a full charge, right? They're plugging overnight uh, on cheap power, AC power overnight, and so forth. 80 plus percent of charging is done at home. That means 90% of the stored energy in that battery is not being used. Yep. It's just being wasted because yep. you're only using 40 or 50 miles in your mm -hmm. daily commute. So that's really where this conversation about the EV and the grid relationship comes together because if you can now start to access you, meaning the utility, the, the OEM, always with consent of the customer, if you can now access a distributed car park of a million, a couple million EVs that have 80 to 90% of that stored energy not being used mm -hmm. through vehicle-to-grid programs or less altruistically just vehicle-to-home programs in the case of blackouts or managed charging or peak shaving and so forth in either a residential or commercial use case, that's where this issue of, oh yeah, I get it, it's not a burden to the grid, it's a solution for the grid when you think of all these assets driving mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. Very useful batteries. <laughs> just, you know, just ready to go. Right? Yeah. Um, we are going to take some questions, uh, but not quite yet. I just wanted to warn everyone. Questions are coming. I thought so that was the Last of Us spoiler. Is that? Yeah. And I was really trying to not look through my peripheral vision. It, is the last question. it just says yeah. last question. But the so. records show that I remembered in advance of looking at the slide book. Okay. Anyway, I get a little plus one afterwards for that. Um, but I think it, I mean, it's a good topic area to talk about as our sort of last one, but so if you do have a question, please like formulate it. Remember the previous rules about hate. It's allowed, but in a seated position. Um, uh, we gotta build some more charging points though, even though like most charging happens at home yep. and that most people only drive 50 miles a day, we still need some more charge points. People, I guess arguably that infrastructure is not visible yep. enough to consumers to such that its invisibility does somewhat interfere with adoption, right? Um, I guess I'm gonna guess this is sort of aimed at you, but I think everyone has a thought here. Sure. What do we gotta do to uh, turn that corner? Is it, is it just full on just build charge points? Is it make them more evident? Is it blinking arrows? Is it communicating in a different way? What is it? All of the above. Right? All of the above, okay. All of the above, right? But I think uh, maybe before we go into the problems, uh, talk a little bit about the improvements that have been made, right? Because uh, okay. things have improved, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think 2018 or 2019, when really, other than Tesla, the, the first uh, EVs, uh, the Bolt has been around obviously for a while. Uh, uh, we're, we're starting to come on the road. The number of chargers on the road uh, were about four to 5,000. Uh, as of 2021, there has been a five-fold increase. Now we, we are at 22,000 fast chargers in the US, right? So improvements have been made, mm -hmm. but clearly uh, they are not enough to, to satisfy the volume that is planned by all these automotive OEMs, GM planning to go full electric by 2035, Audi has similar goals. Uh, everybody has very aggressive goals of putting EVs in, on the road and we need, we need more charging points. Uh, today the biggest hurdle in putting a charger in the ground is the time it takes to get the permits uh, yeah. for, for that, right? Uh, uh, depending on the location, you may have to get a permit from the state, city, municipality, DOE, maybe even the EPA. Your uh, mom. Uh, and, 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 and there you go. The uh, your landlord. Uh, like whatever. And, and, and all of this time adds up, right? Uh, so sometimes it takes 10 months, a year, 
to get a permit for a yeah. charger in the ground, right? Mm -hmm. And so all these so agencies- Streamline bureaucracy is the exactly. word? Exactly. Okay. Uh, so how do you streamline this? You know, uh, the charging approval process has to be streamlined. And there are some uh, industry coalitions like the Electrification Coalition who is putting out recommendations mm -hmm. uh, that are uh, uh, making a difference. Some, some of the cities in the US are starting to make some changes. Uh, Chicago, for example, is allowing licensed electricians to put, uh, to, to get uh, approval for an, an EVSC uh, in one day, right? Uh, California is requiring municipal regulations uh, to be consistent across the state for uh, putting in a charger in the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, this has to keep going, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, for, for us to be able to put the chargers in the, the locations where they need to be, this has to just keep going. And, and cities, states have to keep adopting this. Uh, but I would love to get your, yeah, your I mean, thoughts on lo this. Location, we can't forget the importance of locations. I mean, NEVI, the NEVI fund is the $5 billion, $7.5 billion is really heavily biased to corridor right. charging, highway right. charging, intercity, interstate uh, infrastructure build-out, which is great. It's also the use case that is the least used right. uh, of all charging, which is partly why it also needs a lot of incentive and subsidy because it's, it's where, you know, charge... Uh, station operators are going to make the least or not going to make money for for the foreseeable future, but as we start, there's a lot of conversations about uh, equity in the charging infrastructure, uh, right? And that distribution, we have a lot of you know General Motors who has you know we've got 4,000, 4,500 dealers uh, across the U.S. and Canada. That means we've got dealers in a lot of small communities, right? 90% of the U.S. populations within 10 miles of a GM dealer. So we've got a lot of dealers who are in these rural and ex-urban markets going you know, I've got some anxieties about this pace of electrification. So what do we do? We, we announced a, a program to, uh, to partner with our dealers to deploy charging infrastructure in their communities so that this concentration of charging on, you know, these inner city routes, but also in, you know, the smile states or urban, you know, markets uh, along the coast uh, and southern uh, borders of the country, you know, we need to start building out that network so that really anybody can, uh, can be a part of this electrification, including people who live in rural and ex-urban markets. So that's why we're putting our money where our mouth is. That's why our dealers are coming along for the journey. Dealers are a really important part of the transformation to electrification, to see it adopted on a mass scale, not just on the servicing side, but also on the infrastructure side. And, and so equity in, in charging and that distribution access is, is critically important in addition to everything that Amit said about streamlining this, this bureaucracy. And I think until those things stabilize, right, we're going mm -hmm. to see households that still keep an ICE vehicle, right? Yeah. That there's still that one EV household because their anxiety is still there, right? Like, when I take a trip, where am I going to stop? Like, does, is it working, right? What can we kind of serve them to make sure that they're learning about all of these places that are installing chart that the network's getting better, right? Electrify America is one of the Volkswagen Group's partners, like that they're actually kind of putting the stations in place, they're working, they're not just there, but they work when you pull up and plug yeah. and charge, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But I think until then, adoption's not going to stall, but I don't think we're going to see it accelerate as much as we maybe want to until those pieces are kind of talked about. And kind of yep. that everyone is quick to complain. They're not always quick to talk about how good. Like, I had a great charging experience. Like, right. has anyone heard? Like, <laughs> have you guys heard that before? I haven't. I always hear, like, this was a terrible charging experience. I pulled mm -hmm. off the road four times, and I, everyone was broken, and I have no idea where I'm supposed to charge, right? And then pair that with, I'm on a road trip. I'm mm -hmm. with my kids. I'm, you know, driving to a more somber event. Like, I need to get there. And so how do you kind of get 
all of these enhancements and pieces that are being done out kind of in the world into those customers so that it becomes less of a decision point, like gotcha. charging's taken care of, it's good. Right. I know where to go, it's fine, no big deal. Or I have these home options. Right? Yep. Well, I hope everybody here is having a good charging related experience. <laughs> I'd love to hear about it. Like, uh, <laughs> equity and infrastructure, you know, embracing new lifestyles of new generations, like uh, more resilient power, grid, the general ecological effect. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to care about EV adoption. What do you guys care about in the context of EV adoption? What, do you got any questions? Right here. You can step up to the mic if you like, or shout it out, and I'll repeat it for you. If the utility is using your battery, does that affect your battery life, presumably in the sort of vehicle-to-grid kind of context, yeah? Anybody want to jump on that? Yeah, I mean, in General Motors' case, any programs that we're offering are, uh, um, you know, uh, tied to the fact that all of our customers have a, a very long warranty on their battery, eight years, um, 100,000 miles, and so forth. So as far as our customers using our products and our programs and so forth, no concerns about battery life. And I believe, I think most of the other are, uh, OEMs offer similar warranties on their batteries as well, as far as I understand. So I would expect that to be uh, taken care of uh, if there is any such concern from the consumer. Uh, we, in the modeling that we've done for uh, bidirectional charging, we've seen no meaningful impairment to the life of the battery. Good news. Run the list. All right, I got out, out of my chair, so be prepared for the hate. No, uh, seriously, I think, I mean, public charging is great. Of course, we need that of, as well. But I think home charging, as has been stated, I mean, that is the majority use case. Yeah. Mm. And for example, I don't know how it is in America. I'm from Europe. But hourly pricing or time of day pricing, how big is that here? How many percent do that? Because without hourly pricing or our time of day pricing, the business case for making EVs affordable and like making money out of it yeah. is a lot harder. So, any comment on that? We only yes. knew somebody who knew something about charging. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, so the average cost of electricity across the U.S. is around 15 cents. Yeah. Uh, residential charging is around 15 cents a kilowatt hour. And when we look, so yes, there are time of use rates. There are peak charges in in most uh, uh, most regions uh, that generally have higher cost of electricity during the day. The day part may shift depending on the state and the region. California is actually starting to see um, you know, that reverse pattern where there's more electricity usage uh, in the evenings and so forth. But putting that aside, there is this phenomenon of time of use uh, um, variances in, in pricing. But regardless of what that is uh, and how long you're, you're reliant on that and how often you're charging, when you compare it to uh, gasoline, you're still seeing material savings uh, when you compare charging at home, even in a really expensive electricity market, because that's probably an expensive gas market as well. Uh, so we're always seeing an advantage in the comparison, direct comparison. Yeah, ju just for reference, I just noticed that in Sweden, where I'm from, electricity prices varied by a factor of 100 in the past week. It went from 20 euro cents to 0.2 euro cents yesterday, basically electricity being free, so I could charge for free during the night yeah. versus 100 times more expensive yeah. a week earlier. And I mean, those fluctuations are just enormous. So I mean, yeah. that is a very, very important piece of the puzzle, I would say. And I mean, for home sure. charging being the majority. Did you bring some with you to sell on the US market? Yeah. <laughs> As an importer, it's always a good I, I put the power bank uh, filled uh, okay. up. So I'll okay. sell you some. 
avionic electron movement is an aggressive business model, but I don't know. Um, let's jump into another question. Thank you for the question, man. Hi, uh, thank you for the great talk. So I'm curious about the little bit about the timeline. So now that we're talking about like there's an issue with charging station, affordability, there's so many the issue that we talk about, but without really a specific timeline here. So I'm curious in each company, like I bet like there's some kind of roadmap that where you see like next five year, next ten year. So I, I my understanding is GM the only, uh, from the 2030 they only selling the electric vehicle. 2035 20, is our 35, target 35. for yeah, light duty vehicles, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a, some kind of like timeline that within each company. So I'm curious, like, what, what is the timeline for, um, for uh, buying the e e EV is, of course, choice, like, for mass public, for example. Like, people don't care about technology. People don't care about sustainability. People just care about gas price. Yeah. I just want to go to point A to B. Mm -hmm. So, so the, there's a patchwork here of like, you know, industry goals and governmental goals, right? Like, for example, I think Sweden is like 2025. I mean, in terms of like a, like a legal goal, right? So, so is the question, question fundamentally how are all these timelines of these disparate parts of the ecosystem sort of coming together? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, if you listen to the federal administration talking about what their goals are with NEBI, they're looking to deploy hundreds of thousand chargers through that um, subsidy fund by the end of the decade. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Volkswagen's made its announcements, General Motors made its announcements in terms of when we're going all electric. You, you drop the point about cost of ownership for the people who don't necessarily care about sustainability or other motivations, tech adoption, and so forth. Cost of ownership today, today, is quite advantageous for EVs over, uh, over uh, ICE vehicles. Like if you were to compare uh, an Equinox or Silverado to its you know, uh, counterparts and so forth, you're gonna find that over a five year ownership period, your EV is gonna come out uh, more favorable in most cases. So um, I, from what I've seen, this stuff is gonna mesh. I mean, the infrastructure is, is the biggest you know, outlier, but we're already building out home solutions. I think probably the one question mark that exists for me in the economy is what are we gonna be doing about multifamily housing? That's mm -hmm. an area that's really been underserved. That's a group that's more reliant on public charging because they don't have easy solutions. But we're also starting to see some innovation in that space as well, so. I would agree. I think total cost of ownership today uh, with some of the options that you have available to buy uh, is already uh, uh, an advantage over buying an ICE vehicle. So I, I don't think that is an issue. What we have been talking about is really accelerating the, the adoption by everybody else, right? So if you want to go and buy a car, EV today, it is already beneficial to do so. If you just want to go from point A to point B and save money, buy an EV. Nice. Thank you. I got one I'll sell you if you want. Yeah. <laughs> really sweet. I've got a bunch. <laughs> Hello, so first of all, thanks for the good talk. Um, I am one of the passionate about big trucks and all of that, but not against EV, quite the opposite, very interested in EV, especially since the last year or something that it's been releasing a lot of big trucks EV. Thank you, GM, for yes. pushing that barrier. Mm. You are welcome, sir. <laughs> specifically, the Hummer EV is my new dream car, so hopefully I'll have one of those in my garage soon. But um, my question is more like, with, there's a lot of brands selling EV on a direct-to-consumer approach. And there's advantages and disadvantages with having a dealership 
like element to it, right? And you both, uh, in case of Audi and GM, have that dealership. So do you see as an option having direct selling is something that you want to explore because it's a completely different experience for who's buying the car. And as a future um, EV owner, I'm interested in that. Uh, how do you see that going forward with you, more traditional approaches? So from the Audi perspective, right, we're always going to be partnering with our dealers, right? That is kind of the future of the brand. Those dealers are kind of the main customer touch point for EVs, right? The education, the service, I understand it's not the same as service for an ICE, but you're still kind of, you know, how do I buy parts and accessories? How do I kind of add customizations to my car? So. For us, it's always going to be leaning into that partnership with them and making sure that they have the education and they have the tools to do that selling. Now we can make it easier for you to come to a VIN, like this is the VIN that I want to purchase, and now I'm going to convert with the dealer. I'm not saying you have to go into the store to do that conversion, right? But that you're really kind of making, I'm finding my car that wayfinding of this is the vehicle, this is the truck that I want, and this is kind of where I'm going to make that final sale, right? That in between, there's a lot of steps, obviously, but digitizing a lot of that will help, but it's still going to be with and on behalf of that dealership. Yeah, I, our, our approach is to try and approximate and, and replicate that experience and the convenience that people like in a direct sale model, which is that you know online e-commerce, as, as an example, an end-to-end -end online transaction, which we've enabled, still fulfilled, fulfilled by the dealership. The important thing to remember is that a sale is one moment in time of a vehicle ownership. What do they, that ownership experience is a five-year, 10-year experience for a lot of folks, and that service experience that Amanda references, really important. I recently, very recently, last week, had an experience with a competitor vehicle, had a service event happen, and I cannot tell you how painful this experience is ultimately took the vehicle to a Chevrolet dealer because I was the most proximate dealer and somebody who could actually help me when the support line for, for the competitor would not help. Um, it was baffling. So, you know, the service experience is really important, but we're starting to see our dealers now want to participate and lean in on the charging infrastructure, like the program I talked about. Our dealers are going to be investing in charging infrastructure in their communities. That's something you can only enable when you have a uh, dealer network that is highly engaged in the process. So, you know, we're, we're on the other side of this, you know, rhetoric about the direct sales. We think there's far more advantages to having a dealer model, in our case, with 4,500, you know, sales and service points uh, across the U.S. and Canada, and we see that for the foreseeable future. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for question. Uh-oh, guys. Here we go. <laughs> Talking about brand loyalty uh, during this pivotal time of EV adoption. So it is in the industry, from what I understand, it's about 50% the brand loyalty on the auto segments that people would buy their next car based on the one that they have before. Are you looking at the EV adoption as a moment to change that composition, to accelerate that brand loyalty or to start getting new? Uh, or are you looking at it as continuing the same type of uh, brand loyalty? And I'll just do a little parenthesis in the back because I think it connects well also with uh, Amit in terms of the, the charging networks. Is from a brand loyalty perspective, what, what are some of key value propositions that we have seen? Nowadays, you can go to this gas station because it cleans your car better or your engine. The other one is more powerful. But as you it go, powers to, your home. Or powers. <laughs> there yeah. you go. So, how, how are you seeing as brand loyalty also on the charging aspect of things? So, you know, I'll, I'll, um, 
General Motors recently, you know, was recognized as having the highest uh, repurchase loyalty, brand loyalty in the industry, which, I mean, obviously we've known. It's nice to get, you know, third-party uh, endorsement of that. What's exciting about that is that's based on largely our ICE portfolio. When you look at EVs, just take the OEM out of it, most people who buy an EV have stated, like almost all people who buy EVs will continue to buy EVs. They're not going back to ICE. There's, there's a small percentage who do. So when you look at a category loyalty factor and couple that with the manufacturers who are sort of already exhibiting strong loyalty, and you factor in the things like the experience, right? Because charging, unlike fueling, is a daily event and daily ritual for most people. So as we've all talked about here, to the extent that we are collectively or individually creating this really superior experience, that daily ritual, that's really effortless, whether it's plug and charge in a public use case or just you know second nature in a home use case, like plugging your phone, that car is part of a hardware ecosystem that's powering your home and powering the grid, you're gonna start to see a lot more you know, a term I don't love necessarily, but this ecosystem stickiness, right? So I think we're gonna to start to see those manufacturers who've already demonstrated capability with loyalty with ICE, just see that a multiplier effect with electric vehicles to the extent that they're doing that business well. And from the Audi side, we actually see most of our EV sales come from out of brand, right? So it's, it's really a prospecting kind of play for us to pull them in. Um, but we do see similar trends where one to two, two to, like, then you're kind of into the brand, right? And that actually is a similar trend that pulls from hospitality, right? Like you become a loyalty member, you're one night stay. Once you get them to two, they kind of have more of that brand loyalty and also play into the partnerships that you have, right? Whether it's the charging networks, charging install, those kinds of aspects of it, their lifetime value is much higher because of that additional kind of vehicle it kind of goes up with each one and so really you know marketing to those people who are coming off of lease or at their life cycle of the vehicle plus also pulling all of those new consumers into the brand mm -hmm. maybe to answer your last question regarding the uh, uh, networks and brand loyalty what we see is uh, today most of the ev drivers are essentially using the chargers in public based on convenience right so whatever is close to me when I need it, uh, I'm going to use that uh, at this point of time. And given the density of uh, uh, chargers that are available, that is probably going to be uh, true for, for a few more years. But un until and unless you know, there's enough charging infrastructure in the ground, which will happen, I think that's when you see uh, EV drivers you know, focusing on, oh, I want to charge at this network only because there's some benefits lower cost mm. or, or some po points maybe, you know, that they offer uh, where I can use uh, uh, them for, for, for different, uh, you know, uh, advantages, right? So, but, but for now, convenience. I want to be able to charge when I need it. Charging will be sticky, though, I think, like as part of these package ecosystem. Certainly will. It will. Yeah, I think. It will. will, most definitely. All right, Not we're down to, we're down to avoid. 11 seconds here. You get a question, but lucky for you, all these guys have agreed to spend a little extra time in our lounge. Uh, okay. So you'd be able to ask a question then, if that's okay? Yeah, it works. Because we've run out of time, so I'm sorry to make <laughs> yeah. you like stand up, but like I promise it will get answered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you might get to answer, ask a few follow-ups as well. So yeah, great, great. Um, this is just one part of a full day of programming with CINT. Uh, thank you for coming, and uh, hope that you uh, continue to enjoy the content throughout the day. Lots of great speakers and panelists. I want to thank our panelists for being here. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank it's you, Mike. Thank you, everybody. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you.
We got through it with no puns. You not, didn't talk about the energy in the room. No not puns, not a single pun. The combination of vehicular and electric is a very pun-rich zone. Yeah. <laughs>